you have your Bibles, please turn to Isaiah chapter 11. If you get to about the middle of your scriptures, you'll probably find Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11. This will conclude our Advent sermon series on the prophecy of Christmas as we've been looking at Old Testament prophecies of the birth of Christ. And it will all culminate for us Wednesday evening as we gather together as a church family uh, to worship our newborn king at our Christmas Eve candlelight service. So looking forward to celebrating and worshiping with you then. Isaiah chapter 11, our text this morning is verses 1 through 10. This is God's holy, authoritative, inerrant word to us. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox." The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hunt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him the nations shall inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Let's pray. Father, as we look into the word of life, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us understanding? Would you help us to see what you would have for us this morning? We pray in Christ's name, amen. One of my favorite scenes from one of my favorite books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, is when Santa Claus shows up. Now, only C.S. Lewis and his brilliance could figure out a way to work Santa Claus into his story. But for those of you who are familiar with the story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, you may remember there were four siblings, Peter, Edmund, Susan, and Lucy, and they are fleeing away from the white witch with the beavers. And on their journey as they are fleeing, at some point they stop to rest and to eat in a small cave. And as they are there resting, they were frightened by the sound of bells in the distance. What was frightening them? Why this sound of bells? Well, their minds immediately went to the terrible white witch on her terrible sleigh. And she was coming to get them and to capture them and to turn them all into stone. While they were there in the cave, while they were terrified, Mr. Beaver gets out of the cave to go into survey the scene to see what's going on. 
And after he'd been gone for what seemed like hours to the children, he finally returns excitedly. And much excitement was in his voice because guess who had shown up? Santa Claus. Now this is great news in Narnia because for those of you who are familiar with the story, you may remember that in Narnia, it's always winter and never Christmas because of the evil white witch's spell and her rule. And so the mere appearance of Santa Claus in the Narnian story was a sign of hope, was a a sign that the spell and the curse was being broken because Father's Christmas had shown up and had given them much hope. But at this point in Narnia, there was even greater cause to hope because there was the whisper of someone much greater on the move in Narnia, much greater than Santa Claus, was Aslan. Aslan, the great lion, the great Christ figure in C.S. Lewis's book. Now, in Isaiah chapter 11, our text this morning is showing us that God is on the move. All hope is not lost for God's people. Though the forest be laid bare, hope is springing forth. There is the whisper of a great king. There is great cause to hope at Christmas. So I simply want to ask you this morning, what are you hoping for? What are you hoping for this Christmas? Where is your hope? What are you putting your hope in? Christmas is about hope. It's about joy. And that is what is going on in Isaiah chapter 11. Israel is looking for a miracle. They're looking for hope because there is no hope. Hope has seemingly escaped them because of sin and God's judgment. But now hope was going to spring forth from a stump, a shoot from that stump, which was going to be symbolic of a king who is coming to rescue them. And so we too at Christmas time this morning, we look for the hope of that newborn king. Let me tell you a little bit about what's going on here in Isaiah chapter 11, a little historical context. Isaiah, as you may recall from a few weeks ago, he's a prophet to the southern kingdom. At this point in Israel's history, the kingdom was destroyed. Cities were in ruin and desolation was spread over the whole country. There was no hope, no cause to rejoice, no comfort, only fallenness and discouragement. Israel was once like a a great forest budding forth with great strength, but now had it been chopped down and leveled, it was no more. They were a sinful people, and they had put the Lord their God to the test. They had made unjust laws that had oppressed the poor. And God had raised up the powerful Assyrian army who posed a great threat to the people. And he was going to advance south and destroy God's people. And so now, though, God was going to punish the Assyrians and to show his covenant promises and his protection. And if you look back one chapter earlier in Isaiah chapter 10, you'd see that God is also cutting down Assyria because of their arrogance and because of their evil. He's, again, cutting them down 
much like a great forest. In fact, though, God had actually, he had leveled everything. He had clear-cutted everything. There was no hope, no life, no promise. It was desolate. But now in Isaiah chapter 11, we see that a stump of the promise now remains. All hope was not, in fact, lost. Because upon closer look, we see that not only is there a stump of God's promise, but there's a shoot coming out of that stump. Indeed, it's a branch with life. And not just a branch with a few green leaves, it's a branch that bears fruit. The stump is not dead. Life is springing forth. God's people, God's promise is not utterly forgotten. And so Isaiah has a message here to God's people. It is this. The promise to David is not forgotten. One greater than David is coming. Hope is not lost. Life is springing forth from a stump. If you look there in Isaiah chapter 1, you may have a few questions that come up. What is it talking about the stump of Jesse and what promise is it that God made to David? Well, Jesse is the father of King David, the greatest king in the Old Testament. It is from Jesse that one from whom the righteous line of the king would come. And it is through David that the forever king would come. And so you may recall in 1 Samuel chapter 16... That the prophet Samuel went to Jesse in Bethlehem because God had declared that one of Jesse's sons would be anointed king. And that son of Jesse would become a great king, and that was David. The Bible describes David, a man after God's own heart. David in the Old Testament, he was the model king. He was the king after God's own heart, the one who brought peace, the one who brought God-centered worship to Israel. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 7, later in David's life, we see and we find the amazing covenant promise that was made to King David, where God declares that from David's line would come one who would sit on his throne, on the throne of the kingdom forever and ever. This was the first big promise we find in the Old Testament of a messianic king, a king that would rule righteously forever. In fact, he would be a forever king. The Old Testament teaches us that since the time of David, there was no one else like David. No one compared to his kingship. We also see that a forever king had not come yet in the Old Testament. There was not one after Solomon, David's son, who would rule righteously and forever. And so it seemed like all hope was lost. But again, here in Isaiah chapter 11, we see a glimpse. We see a whisper of this old promise where it says in verse 1, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. A shoot from the line of Jesse. It's not just another king in David's line, but rather another David. In the books of 1st and 2nd Kings, we see that all the, all the kings listed in those books were compared to their father David. 
All kings were compared to David, but no king after David is called a son of Jesse or another David. But here in Isaiah 11, we find another David, a better David, a righteous branch. Moreover, if you skip down to verse 10 in Isaiah 11, this righteous branch is in fact the root of Jesse. Meaning that Jesse sprang up from him. This root of Jesse is the origin of the Messiah. The branch is in fact the root. The righteous branch, who is the root of Jesse, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And in case you haven't figured it out yet, it's Jesus. We're talking about Jesus here. The forever king. What about this shoot, this branch? He is the reason to hope. He is the forever king. He is why the angels announced to the shepherds today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the king. He's the anointed one. He is the Lord. And this is Christmas hope. This is the one shooting forth from the stump of Jesse. And so Isaiah chapter 11, here in the Old Testament, we in fact find good news. We find hope because it is the gospel. It is the hope of the gospel. Here we find that hope is not going to come in the form of an idea. It's not going to become in the form of a philosophy or some type of government. Hope is going to come in the form of a person. A forever king. Jesus. Jesus is our hope. And so in a world that can offer no real hope. Christmas offers real hope. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the good news of Isaiah 11. That Jesus has come to bring hope. And he's done this by establishing three things we're going to look at in this passage. Jesus has come to bring hope by establishing righteousness. Restoration and rest. Righteousness, restoration, and rest. The first thing that we see there in the first five verses of Isaiah 11 is that Jesus has come to establish righteousness. The hope that we have in Jesus is that he has come to make all things right. And so if Jesus has come to make all things right, that implies that there is something wrong. So what is wrong? The world that we live in has been marred by sin. And like the Israelites who had been decimated like a forest that has been cut down, that has been leveled, everything seems lifeless, hopeless, worthless. It seems like a stump, good for nothing. My boys and I went back to go riding four-wheelers with my father on some of his land and my uncle's land and it was totally different it was totally different from the way that I remembered as a a child because they clear cut everything every tree had been leveled there was nothing but stumps it it looked lifeless it didn't look the same it kind of looked hopeless and that's what the world seems like to us at time but look there in verse 5 In verse 5, we find one who rules his kingdom 
with righteousness. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist, Isaiah says. So what is Isaiah saying here? He is saying, excuse me, he is saying that Jesus is righteousness. He wears righteousness and he has come to establish righteousness. He's come to make things right. He can do this because of his character. He is righteous. He is holy, holy, holy. And this is the nature of this forever king. He will establish righteousness with the fruit that he will bear, we find in verse 1. Its root shall bear fruit. The branch is not going to just pop out of the stump. It's going to become a whole tree of life altogether, bearing fruit. It's going to prosper. God's promise is going to come to fruition. All the other kings of old, they had failed to usher in the kingdom of righteousness. But now, this king will bear fruit. This king will bring hope to fruition. He will establish righteousness forever. How will he do this? Look in verse 2. He will do this because the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Again, we're talking about Jesus. Isn't Jesus one with the Spirit? But this harkens us back to Matthew chapter 3 where we see Jesus' baptism. And the Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. It's important to know at this point Jesus was not lacking the Spirit in his divine nature for he was one with the Spirit. But in his human nature, he was endowed with the Spirit to fulfill his kingly task as a man. Namely, his kingly task being to establish righteousness upon the earth. And so he would have a a threefold fullness of this spirit endowed upon him. The threefold fullness of the spirit of righteousness will come upon him. Look in verse 2. First is the spirit of wisdom and an understanding. That is his leadership. That is Jesus' ability to judge and to govern as the forever righteous king. The second part there, we see the spirit of counsel and of power will come upon him. That is his ability to carry out his wise plans. This is his military-like strategy and strength. And then the spirit of knowledge of the fear of the Lord will come upon him. That is his holiness. He is the holy, holy, holy king. And in verse 3 it says that he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And we know this, Jesus, the forever king, will find deep joy living in reverence before his father. who's always talking about his heavenly father. And because he is the righteous king, he will judge rightly. He will establish justice on earth. He will make all things right. What will this righteousness look like that he will establish? Look at verses 3 and 4. He will be a righteous judge. He will, in verse 4, he will care for the poor and the needy. And we see this over and over and over in his life and ministry in the Gospels. Also in verse 4, it says that he will judge the wicked. But he will not come to judge the wicked like you think. He will not do this with a great army. 
or a sword. He will do this with the sword of the Spirit. He will do this, it says in verse 4, with the breath of his lips, which is the word of God. His teaching will be judgment against the wicked. Why did the angels come and declare when Jesus was born that there would be peace on earth? Why did they declare that to the shepherds? Because that is what Christmas is. Jesus has come with great hope and he has established a kingdom of righteousness and peace. That is care for the poor, for the needy, and for the judgment of the wicked, and to make all things right. Jesus has come to establish righteousness. And so I ask you this morning, I don't know what cares and concerns that you have this morning. Are you coming here this morning at Christmas time? Are you struggling? Do you have heavy burdens and concerns that you're carrying? Do you have strained relationships, financial troubles, depression, whatever it may be? I invite you to look in hope to Jesus, who is the King who has come to make all things right. He's come to give decisions for the poor. He's come to give decisions for the needy, for the struggling, for the depressed, for the lonely. He has come to establish righteousness, to make all things right. Not only does Christmas offer hope because Jesus will and does establish righteousness, but because Jesus has come to restore all things. That's the second thing there. Jesus has brought and will bring restoration in verses 6 through 9. In Revelation chapter 20, Jesus declares, Behold, I'm making all things new. And here in Isaiah 11, verses 6 through 9, this is what is going on here. Jesus is making all things new. He is restoring creation. And there's very much a a present and a a future hope in mind here. For Israel, the the present promise was was peace and, and rest from their enemies. But for us, it's the promise and the hope of another advent. We're looking for the promise and the fulfillment of another coming of Jesus, the second advent. Because you see, advent, Jesus coming to the earth, the incarnation, is not just about the first advent, Jesus' birth. But it's about the anticipation and the hope of the second advent. When Jesus will return. In this passage, we find the hope of a completely restored world. So much so that even the animal kingdom is going to be turned on its head in this restored world. We know that because of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, that everything has been affected. Everyone, everything has fallen. Everything has been affected by sin. Things are really out of whack. But in verses 6 through 9 here in Isaiah, it is describing for us what the scholars call the messianic age, the ultimate and final peace on earth that the forever king will establish. So what will the new heavens and the new earth be like in this messianic age? Well, we've got a few examples here. Look in verse 6. 
And if you're not looking in your Bible, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. So look at verse 6. There will no longer be a predator-prey food chain. Think about that. There will no longer be a predator-prey food chain. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. For all of you hunters out there, what's the number one rule when you're out deer hunting and you see a coyote or a wolf come by? <laughs> Shoot it. <laughs> because it's going gonna, it's gonna to eat the deer. It's going to chase the deer. It's going to prey on the deer. A leopard does not hang out with a goat. A calf and a lion don't celebrate Christmas together. But in the Messianic age, there will no longer be a predator-prey food chain. Look in verse 7. The most unlikely of animals will eat together. I get, I get it that a cow grazes, right? But a bear grazing on grass? And the bear and the cow, their young, will lie down together. And a lion, I have not seen them feeding straw to a lion in the zoo. But in the new heavens and the new earth, this will be the restoration that Jesus brings. Peace will rule so thoroughly in the messianic age. Then verse 8, we find that a young child, will, he will lead this, these fierce animals and even play with them. Did you imagine, kid, go, go out back and play with your cobra. Go, go feed the adder in his box. Just put your hand in there. That is the restoration that Jesus will bring. That's what Isaiah prophesies about. Can you imagine the curse of the fall being so undone that a little child will play with snakes? And not, again, not the nice little petting snakes at the zoo. Cobras, adders, deadly snakes. These animals, the man, the creature relationship will be so restored in the new heavens and the new earth, they will be so redeemed that they will live in such a way that they will not harm or hunt and nothing will be destroyed, God says on my holy mountain in verse 9. There will be no hunting, no destruction in the new heavens and the new earth. John Calvin said this, he said, Christ will come to drive away everything hurtful out of the world. And to restore to its former beauty the world which lay under his curse. He rules the world with truth and grace. For as the curse is found, Christ will come to drive away everything bad about the curse. And restore this world. And that gives us great hope. Because if you're struggling and you're hurting right now at this Christmas time. Christ will restore you. He will make all things new. And so we look to him. We look to Jesus. There will come a day when he will ultimately and finally restore everything. And we can put our hope in that. The hope, though, does not just stop with the animal kingdom. We don't just put our hope in what God is going to do with the cow and the bear and the cobra and children playing with them. No. Verse 9 goes on to Claire. Look at there. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In the messianic age, there will be no mystery or separation between God and man. For God will dwell together forever with man, and there will be peace 
there will be complete restoration. As the waters cover the earth, God's knowledge, his love, his presence will be everywhere, over everything in the new heavens and the new earth. And this is the hope of Christmas. Jesus has come to restore all things, especially our relationship with God. Jesus has brought peace between God and man. And this is the thing that we need the most. This is the restoration that we need the most. Christmas offers us hope because Jesus will and he does establish righteousness. And he has come to restore all things. But finally, he has also come to establish rest. We find that in verse 10 where we find the conclusion to this passage. But it's not a conclusion to the story of the hope that we have in Christ. Rather, it points us to the final consummation of all things. When Isaiah says, in that day, that day has its fulfillment both in Christ's birth and in Christ's second coming. The scholars say that day is both now and not yet. That day is now because the branch of Jesse is now referred to as the root of Jesse, who is Jesus, born in Bethlehem. And this baby now stands, it says, as a banner or as a signal to all the peoples, to all the nations who will rally around him. And that is why we sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Repeat the sounding joy. There's something about Christmas, right, that brings us all together. This is what Jesus does. This is Christmas joy. This is Christmas hope. Christmas is wonderful because the forever king has come to establish a glorious peace and rest. The kingdom has come in Christ's birth, but not fully. We are looking for the second advent, the second coming of Jesus. We are looking for the consummation of all things. Christmas is the anticipation of the new heavens and the new earth that Jesus will usher in and he will bring that ultimate and final rest. In Revelation 21, we read about this. We read that there will be no more tear, no more hurt, no more pain. There will be a new heavens and a new earth, and Jesus has made all things new and right. And how wonderful this glorious rest that the king will usher in one day be. As glory filled the stable that night in Bethlehem, so glory will one day fill the whole earth. So are you tired? Are you tired of your sin? Are you tired of discouragement? Are you longing for more? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, the forever king, he offers you final hope. He offers you the final hope of a resting place, a place prepared for you, a place prepared for his bride, the church.
And even now, the Lord Jesus gives us a token of that final hope. The ultimate fulfillment of peace and rest as he invites us to the table to come and to dine with him, to, to eat, to taste and see the grace and the rest that he offers. And so that's what Christmas is all about. It's about life budding forth. Christmas is, is worldwide. It's, it's, it's all of life. All of nature being transformed at Christmas. We are changed at Christmas. Because Christ has come. And you can't leave Christ out of Christmas. You just can't. We give glory to the newborn king. We, we rejoice. And we rejoice because we have hope. We rejoice because the angel says, I bring you good news and glad tidings. A savior has been born, a king, and he is a shoot. And he's actually the root of all life. And he now stands as a banner, as a signal. And the rest and the peace and the hope that he brings is glorious. So Merry Christmas. And peace on earth through him who brings Righteousness, restoration, and rest. He will bring you into his glorious rest. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope of Christmas. Not just the hope that Jesus has been born and that he has died on the cross for our sins, but the hope that he is returning. And he will make all things new. And he will usher in an age of glorious peace and rest. Where the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. Lord, help us to long for that day. Help us to anticipate that day. And in that we put our hope in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.